It's just about a quarter till 11. And if our time were the same time as in the days of Christ, Christ would have been on the cross for almost two hours by this time. Now, at Easter, we meditate on the resurrection of Christ. And very honestly, I had intended originally uh, to give a very simple exposition of Scripture on the resurrection. But I just feel today that it would be well for us to meditate on the sufferings of Christ. In Matthew chapter 27, I want to walk you through the crucifixion and just let you remember what Christ suffered for us. Jesus was on trial. Pilate did not really wish to handle this trial. He did everything that he could think of in his cunning, manipulating fashion. <laughs> Turned back to him every time. And finally, he tried to make everyone else make the decision for him. We notice in Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse uh, 21, the multitudes had brought Christ there. And he had Barabbas, a notorious thief and one who had raised great sedition against Rome. And Pilate thought, oh, maybe the Jews will want me to crucify this man and release Jesus. After all, the Jews are very religious people and they are followers of the prophets. Perhaps they will release him. That will save me the trouble. So Pilate put it to the people. And he said, which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Then verse 22, Pilate said to them, well, what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Messiah, Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. Again, Pilate shocked, even at the Jews for this, looks back at them and says, what, what evil has he done? Men are not rational at moments like this. They do not need causes. And they screamed out all the louder, let him be crucified. And when Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather that a riot was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the multitude saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourself. So simply, Pilate thought he would absolve himself. In his own mind, he had now secured everything he wanted. He was not the one who was the villain in this situation. Well, the Jewish people were. He had not unjustly caused a Jewish religious leader to be crucified. The Jews had done it. He could report back to Rome and tell how he had cleverly manipulated the crowd into crucifying one of their own members and that as a Roman, the power of Rome had been once more substantiated, and therefore, everything was all right. And Pilate washed his hands, thinking to wash them of the blood of the Son of God. But he is not yet through. All the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas for them. But after having Barabbas scourged, after having Jesus scourged, he delivered him to be crucified. What an interesting combination. He is innocent 
I find no fault in him. The Gospel of John presents Pilate three times pronouncing Christ innocent. I find no fault in this man whatsoever. Then we find that very simple statement, then having Jesus scourged. Sometimes we forget in reading these very simple words of the Scriptures the horrible agony that they involve. Having Jesus scourged. This is an act of Roman kindness. (laughs) Kindness to have a man scourged? Yes. For you see, the idea of crucifixion was not execution. The idea of crucifixion was horrible, drawn-out pain and agony. The idea of crucifixion was a public advertisement. This is what happens to someone who rebels against the Roman Empire. Crucifixion was saved for the worst of the offenders. Crucifixion was saved for the vilest of the criminals. And therefore, when a man was crucified, the Romans wanted to get as much mileage out of it as they possibly could. And it was not uncommon for a man to stay on the cross not just hours but many days and sometimes up to three weeks. The Romans would put the man they really despised on the cross in perfect health. They would tie him to the cross, not nail him to the cross. And they would make certain that while he was on the cross, hanging in agony, they would feed him. And they would give him water, for they wanted him to last a long time so that everyone would remember this is what happens. When they wanted to show mercy, they scourged him. Scourged. Simple. We think of a man taking a whip, taking the lash. We think of scenes out of the West with a bullwhip and a pop and a strip of the flesh. But the Roman cat of nine tails was one of the most notorious instruments ever invented. It started with a stake approximately 18 inches long with a good solid handle, not a narrow little handle, but one that would take two hands with which to grasp it. They would take then thongs, and it was not always nine. It was whatever suited the fancy of the ones who made it. They would take thongs of leather approximately two feet long, very narrow strips of leather. And in this leather, they would embed at one to two inch intervals pieces of glass, stone, razor. And that was the idea, to have it along the interval. The whole whip then would be about three feet long. The idea of the Roman scourge was not just to make a lash, for then they would take the victim and make him completely naked. All the artists are very modest, and for that we are grateful to them. Our eyes would not be able to accept what we really would see at that point. They would strip the victim and then have him stretched as tight as men could stretch his body. And then they would take the lash and with the strongest man, they would reach around and whip it around the body until it reached somewhere around Then they would pull. Now, with this, the pieces of stone and the metal and the glass would actually rip out chunks of flesh. And not only the flesh, but the nerve and even chunks of the bone would be torn away with this Roman whip. And the Romans would do this over and over again at every part of the body, not merely on the back, until many parts, the external parts of the body would be torn off. The face would be ripped away, the body, the legs, 
until the thing standing before you would be unrecognizable as a human. No wonder the psalmist said his visage was marred more than that of any man. Why this? Because ordinarily, even strong men would die under the scourging of the Roman cat of nine tails. And at least it would weaken the person to where his time on the cross would be lessened. What a wonderful act of Roman mercy. Then, after having Jesus scourged, he delivered him to be crucified. After Christ had been scourged, they placed his own robe back over him and marched him back over to the whole praetorium and the Roman cohort. And verse 28, they stripped him. When a person has had his back lacerated and bleeding and bloody with such deep wounds, to put a garment upon him, immediately the garment itself is embedded into the flesh. And now they bring another torture to Christ. They rip the robe off, tearing again more of the flesh of Christ as they do this. And after weaving a crown of thorns, they put it on his head. Some years ago, a lady that I knew, uh, I worked with her in a place of business. She called me and said, oh, I want you to see this. Here is a beautiful crown of thorns. It's a little pot about that high, beautiful little flower with spindly little uh, uh, thorns. Uh, and she said, this is the thing they made the crown of Jesus with. I took my hand, put it around that beautiful old flower and crushed it just like that. I said, that would not create any problem, would it? She said, you mean that's not really what they used? The thorn tree in Israel is very widely known. I've seen these many times. The thorns grow up to nine inches in length. These are not like the little pricks that you see on blackberry bushes and rose bushes. These are spikes that actually are sufficient to kill a person with. These are sturdy and hard. Can you imagine the wickedness of the Roman soldiers who are so eager to bring harm and pain to another human being that they sit there with these vicious thorns and with their own hands plait a crown. Their own hands will be totally lacerated. Can you hear them as they laugh at the pain in their own hands as they think what they're going to do? And then they place it upon the head of Christ. And when they place the crown of thorns and begin to beat it down, these thorny spears go under the skin, wrinkling out, tearing into the very skull itself. This is the crown of thorns. And they spat on him. And they took the reed and began to beat him on the head. The wickedness of man knows no limits. Why men love to torture other men. Did you realize that all of creation... In all of creation, no species of bird, insects, or animals ever has been known to deliberately torture another of its species or another species. They will kill for they need food. They will fight to protect their territory. But never is there any circumstance under which any animal merely 
tortures another animal for the fun of torture. This is left up to man. They torture Jesus Christ. After they had mocked him, once again, they have changed and put a robe on. Now they put his own garments on him and they lead him away to crucify him. The Gospel of John adds one little point here. He, bearing his cross, was led away to be crucified. The artists of various Egypts have tried to depict the crucifixion, many in different fashions, none of them, or shall I say rarely any of them, with any degree of actual historical accuracy. The cross is too heavy for a man to carry, especially a man who has just been scourged, a man who has just been beaten, a man who has had his life's liquids flowing out of his body at this moment. They never, never put the entire cross on a person. For the crucifixion was always at a particular spot in a given town. But they would put the cross piece on him. And therefore, we can see some as they have pictured Christ bending over, carrying the cross piece. Apparently, he didn't go very far. This is not recorded in Scripture, but the sequel to it is. Apparently, Christ even as strong as he was, was not able to carry it very far, for immediately he must have given appearances of falling or perhaps he had even fell. Scriptures do not mention his falling, but they do mention very explicitly then that as they were coming out, they found a man of Cyrene named Simon, whom they pressed into service to bear his cross. Now the crowd follows along, Christ being dragged, being led, being pushed, and still conversing with people along the way to crucifixion, the women who cried out, he cried back to them and told them not to weep for him, but for themselves. They finally arrive at Golgotha, the place of the skull. The place of crucifixion was never a quiet place. It was never set aside. I'm sorry, but when you go to Jerusalem, I love the beautiful garden tomb. It's so quiet and peaceful. But if you'll notice right up above nearby, you will find more likely the place where the bus station is, the city bus station. Right below that is probably the area in which Christ was crucified. Why? That was a central place of business. Remember, the Roman crucifixion was to advertise this is what Rome does. They would have a socket dug deep into the ground, about three feet deep in the ground, and they would leave the vertical pole of the cross there all the time. When I say pole, it was simply a tree, rough hewn, nothing smooth, nothing ornate, nothing polished like we see in our churches or like the little crosses we wear around our neck or on our lapels or as earrings. Beautiful decorations. This is not a decoration. This is an instrument of death. They would leave that embedded in the ground. And when the person who is to be crucified came, they would pull this up out of the socket and then lie it flat on the ground. And when the, the crew came that was to crucify Christ, they would take the cross piece and then put it on there. And then they would have the one to be crucified. They would hold him where he would be standing on the vertical pole. The vertical pole would be on the ground and then they would place his feet across it. And then they would hold him in place and drive spikes through the feet into the cross. 
quite frequently, and we actually have the remnant of a body who was crucified in this same period of time, they would do it from the ankle on the side so that the cross piece, the vertical piece, uh, would be lying flat and they would put his ankle sideways to it so that then when they put him on the cross, he would have to twist his body halfway around. And the piece now would be going from the side and the person would be on the cross in this fashion. After they had nailed the feet to the cross, then they would take the person and push him back, tearing all the ligaments and nerves in his feet and ankles and legs and stretch him flat out upon the vertical piece. Then the soldiers, several on either side, would take the person and stretch him as far as they could possibly stretch without literally pulling the body apart. And in many cases, arms would be pulled completely out of the socket. They would always tie the victim to the cross. Always. For in the throes of pain and agony, if they had only nailed him, the person's natural convulsions might have ripped his hands right through the nails and the person would fall off the cross. And that would run all the purpose of the crucifixion. And they wanted to make certain that he stayed on the cross. Therefore, they would tie him. But in Christ's case, they made an additional thing. They nailed him to the cross, explicitly stated. Can you imagine the soldiers as they take this person and drag him down this harsh, rough board of crucifixion? And then as they place him, can you imagine actually nailing these spikes into his hand? Then after the person was in this fashion, they would raise him up. It would take a number of soldiers, a large number, for the cross itself would weigh close to 400 pounds without a man on it. And then they would lift it up and angle it up, and then at least two to three soldiers would get under each arm piece. One soldier would kneel and hold the bottom of the cross over the slot in the ground, over the socket, and they would lift it up, and then they would let it fall, so it fall down two to three feet with a horrible thunk. This would remove every nerve and joint from its proper place and make where every joint and nerve in the body would be aching and sending throbbing pain. There was no way in the world that a person could ever have a single second's relief from pain. They had a foot rest on the cross, always a foot rest because... Even the ropes could not hold the body there. And besides, they wanted the person to live a while. They would have a foot rest. Always the feet would be placed. But when the cross hit the socket, the feet would be just about one foot to 18 inches above the ground. Not high above the ground. They wanted to make certain there was utmost humbling of this. Therefore, the people could walk right by and almost look him in the eye. And this is why they taught him, Oh, you who would save others, save yourself. It's just one step from there down to the ground. You do all these mighty works. Why don't you just step down if you're so powerful? And you could see they could stand right there and taunt him. The Romans would not let them touch him. Friends might come along and initiate the action that would finally take his life. You see, they wanted to make certain that no one touched him. The person now on the cross would be there to suffer agony. There was a slight little rest, maybe two inches wide, where he could rest his hips on it just slightly. Because, you see, on the cross, 
Ordinarily, death did not come from bleeding. Death came from asphyxiation. For the whole weight of the body would pull down on the lungs and the person would be unable to breathe. Then, because he had a foot rest and could rest his hips slightly, the person could push up. But when he pushed up to get a breath, it would send pain throughout his entire body. And he would gasp with agony and therefore start to choke again and then push up. It was a continuous agony the whole time, never a second's rest. Matthew presents the wickedness of man in its complete picture. After the crucifixion has been completed, what is there to do now? We read in Matthew 27, verse 36, sitting down, they began to keep watch over him. Sitting there watching a man die. It's now about 11 o'clock. Christ has been on the cross two hours. As I have described these things to you, some of you involuntarily flinched at the thought of the pain at the thought of the agony. There are yet four hours to go on the cross for Christ. During this day, I would suggest that we meditate on what Christ is suffering at that moment. And once again, go back and read Isaiah chapter 53. I'm going to start with verse Three, the middle of verse 2. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon Him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to Him. He was despised, forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Like one from whom men hide their face, He was despised and we did not esteem Him. Surely our griefs He Himself bore, our sorrows He carried, yet we ourselves esteemed Him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon Him, and by His scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation... Who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due? His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. 
by his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors.